Dad the Man, the guy who's living life the right way by loving and leading his family. World class at his craft and admired by many, but more importantly, he sets the tone for what a great man, husband, and father looks like. That's who Dad the Man is. And the truth is, as men, husbands, and fathers, we experience and struggle with so many of the same things. And it's time we recognize that we're all in this together. So drop your ego at the door and join us in the conversation. Welcome to Dad the Man. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in. My name is Brendan Wall, and I am your host. And today, I am also your guest. So today, we're going to do things a little bit differently. This is going to be our first solo episode with just me. I'll apologize in advance. No special guest today, but we've done nine interviews to this point. We've got nine episodes out there. So this is episode number 10. I wanted to take this opportunity to introduce myself in a little bit more detail and give a little bit more of the backstory um, from my life that led to Dad the Man being born. I want to provide a little bit more of that context to let everyone know what what's in my heart or what was in my heart that led to me saying, hey, I want to spend all this time developing this podcast. So my name, obviously you guys know I'm Brendan Wall. I'm 30 years old. I live in Chattanooga, Tennessee with my beautiful wife, Leslie. We have been married for a little bit over six years. We have two boys. Um, they're five and two, almost three. And we are currently working on adopting our third child. We are in the middle of that matching process. So we have not matched with the family yet, but we're working on it. Uh, we're seeing cases actively. It's a crazy process. It's a roller coaster. It's a huge leap of faith, um, and that would be a whole other episode in itself to really go into too much more detail there. So I won't right now, but that's where we are. That's our family in a nutshell. So I was born in Long Island, New York. I moved down to Birmingham when I was about four or five years old. And, and the long story short of my childhood is that it was perfect. So perfect parents, you know, perfect childhood, perfect neighborhood, perfect school system. I was the oldest of two siblings. Uh, my younger brother still my best friend to this day. I mean, you, you could not write a childhood on paper any better than what I lived. Every opportunity that I ever was interested in was was present. It was there for me. Um, and it was met with enthusiasm from from my family and from friends and from the support of our community. Um, never had to worry about anything in that regard. But my parents did a wonderful job of, um, you know, we, we had access to all these things. We were financially stable. That was never a worry, but they did a really great job of parenting me to not feel entitled to any of it. They were very, I remember they were very um, particular about what they praised and they all, I just remember so much, they did such a great job of praising, praising the inputs. They, they cared so much more about who I was, how I approached things rather than, um, you know, how I, how I performed or the outcome of any of the things that I did. And that's, one of the biggest blessings in my life is that I was raised that way. So perfect childhood. Everything was incredible. I had the opportunity to go to college at Auburn. Uh, my dad had gone to Auburn. So Auburn was w the, the family that I was born into. And uh, if, any, if, you're any, if you're from anywhere near the Southeast or you are a fan of, of college sports at all, you know the rivalry that is Auburn, Alabama. There was no doubt um, that I was not going to be going to Tuscaloosa and that I was going to go to Auburn. And I did. Made dad proud, had a blast, um, very stereotypical college experience. I would say big SEC football town college experience, was in a fraternity, did the whole thing, was going out all the time, worked hard at school, made great grades, 
Um, but uh, definitely played as hard as I worked for sure. There was a balance there. I went to grad school um, for um, accounting. I'm an accountant by by trade. I got a master's in accounting and passed my CPA in, in my grad school year. So my junior year was when I met Leslie. That's when she came into the picture. We met uh, towards the end of our junior year and hit it off right away um, and really never looked back. So we dated until um, we got, I guess we dated starting then, got engaged when I was in grad school. And right after I graduated that summer, got married, moved up to Nashville, Tennessee, where she and I both had always wanted to, to live. And so we moved up there, got a little apartment together. It was awesome. It was, uh, you know, right outside downtown Nashville. We were in the 12th South area. It was incredible. We had a great apartment. We could, we, we had a little pool, a little gym. We could walk into town and get coffee or brunch or dinner, whatever. Um, you know, I was working in the Pinnacle building downtown at a big four accounting firm overlooking Broadway, overlooking the, the river and the Titan stadium just had a great setup. And we were so excited about this life that we were starting together. It was awesome. Like we, we were just, we were off to the races and super excited about it. And when you, when you first get married, you, if you want to have kids, you have to, there, there's going to be a conversation of when, and, um, we never had the, it was never a question of if with us, I have always wanted to be a dad my entire life. And I know that Leslie always wanted to be a mother. So there was never a question of, of if it was when. And I remember we were probably four or five months into being newlyweds in Nashville, living our lives, starting our careers. And um, I remember being very adamant in the conversation about waiting to have kids. Five years was the number I had in mind. I said, I want to get five years down the road. And once I get five years down the road, it was totally made up. But I thought I'd be in a position where I was financially stable. I'd have a, a foothold in my career. You know, I'd be in a, I'd be in this great place where I was very comfortable, right? I wanted to have that control and the security that came with that in my career, the finances. That's really where my head was. So about five days later, I remember we were we had just come home. Leslie's grandfather had actually passed away, and uh, we were coming home from the funeral the next morning, um, or no, it was the next day. I came home from work, and there was a pregnancy test on the table. And I found out that I was going to be a dad. And I think my reaction was great. You can ask Leslie, she may tell you something different, but I remember that I had a good reaction. Um, thankfully I wasn't recorded in that moment. Um, but I knew in that instant that my life was going to change for forever. So at that point in time, we're so, we're, I mean, we're, we're excited. We're, we're shocked, but we're excited. And I, and I say that with, um, with all the sincerity in the world, uh, it, it definitely knocked me off my feet for a minute, but um, couldn't have been more excited for the opportunity to um, to be a dad. You know, if you've ever known somebody who's had trouble getting pregnant, or have heard about people not being able to to have children, or have gone had trouble with with miscarriages, or not being able to get matched with a family, maybe it's in an adoption. You know that if you have the opportunity to bring a child into the world and bring a child home, that that's a huge blessing. And thankfully, we both had that mindset at that time. But we had always talked about whenever that time did come for us to have kids, we'd move our family to be closer to parents on one side or the other. We're, Leslie, like me, we're both very lucky in that we have very active parents in our lives that are super excited about, you know, not just staying close with us, but also being involved grandparents. So we made the decision we were going to move one way or the other um, to either Chattanooga or Birmingham. 
my company, um, big four accounting firm, they had, I have offices all over the place. They happen to have an office in Birmingham and they did me a huge favor and transferred our family uh, down to Birmingham. So we get there about a year after we had moved to Nashville. We end up in Birmingham. We land there just in time for Mason to be born. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's really where the story starts to get good. That's where, you know, if you have kids, you know, the feeling of when you get home from the hospital and all of a sudden it's, it's very quiet and there's no, there's no beeping monitors. There's no, um, there's no nurses coming in to check on you every 10 minutes. There's no doctors coming in in the middle of the night. It's just you and it's your spouse and it's the baby and that's it. And it's really quiet and it's really scary. And I remember that feeling. And, and I just remember the wave of, um, the wave of instincts that really started to flood in at that point in time. Now I said, I had had this idea in my head, right? I wanted to be five years into my career. I was attached to this idea of having control over my finances and just being, you know, out in front of every, every single variable that could possibly come into my life. And then the opposite happened. You know, I was one year into my career, entry-level accountant when Mason was born. So the opposite of uh, financially stable um, wasn't exactly crushing it financially. But I was hell-bent on changing that. I was hell-bent on, on putting my pe- you know, pedal to the metal. I'm going to bring home the bacon. I'm going to provide for this family. Damn it, one way or the other, I'm going to make it happen. So I did. I, I poured everything that I had into my job. And I went through this cycle over the three years we were in Birmingham of just pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, and then completely melting down, like burnout. My work would go from like I was really doing the best that I could and really felt like I was doing really good work um, in my career. And then I would just fall apart and I'd have a couple months where I was just, I was just a noodle and my work sucked. I was burnt out. I think, I think the, the, urge for me to do that, to just push, 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 and not have any kind of bumpers up, any kind of just, you know, something that could reel me in and keep me a little bit more mainstream. I was raised to work hard. My parents did an incredible job of instilling that in me. And that's a blessing. But when I, when I attached to that, this, this weight or this anxiety of, I have to provide for my family, I, I guess I put all my eggs into the basket of working hard in my career, and I completely neglected the fact that being a great husband and father, providing for the family, is a lot more complex than money in a bank account. Yes, it's important. Yes, working hard is so incredibly it's 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 it is paramount. It's so important. But at the same time, there's a lot of other things that go into it. So I, w- I, I failed in that regard. I, nothing bad ever happened. Like I never, I was talking about this with Leslie the other day. Like I never did anything wrong. I was just not in a good place myself. I couldn't, I wasn't taking care of myself. I was doing everything I could in my career, but I was not taking care of myself. End of year three in Birmingham, um, one of my burnout sessions turned into a legitimate depression. And then I had a really tough time there for a little while. Um, I never wanted to get out of bed. I wasn't working out. Uh, I would find myself just break down crying from time to time, walking around the, the, the house. Um, and it was really weird. And it was something that I was very uncomfortable with. And I was scared of the way that I felt because I'd never felt that before. I'd always been able to kind of just push through. 
but I was, I was sleep deprived. I wasn't working out. Like I always had my entire life. My diet was wildly inconsistent. Um, I was, I don't remember. I would imagine I was probably drinking more than I should have. Not in a, not like in a binge sense, but you know, the one glass of wine that turns into three glasses of wine in a night. And then you do that a couple of nights a week. And then all of a sudden you've got this extra stress on top of already being sleep deprived and not working out and not taking care of your mental health and all these things. So I go into, I slip into a little bit of a depression. Leslie's coming out of, you know, she struggled postpartum depression after Brooks, um, who was born, um, I guess two years, a year or two into us being in Birmingham. And, uh, she, despite having her own struggles, really put her foot in the ground, anchored us and pulled me out. I remember she went to, uh, my parents, my brother and Leslie's or, and her parents, and she wrote one herself, but she had everybody write letters to me about what they appreciated about me. And, uh, that was a hundred percent the nicest, most meaningful, most impactful thing that anybody had to that point and probably will ever do for me in my entire life. And, um, I knew in that moment that I had to make a change in some regard. Right. So we decide at that point, let's make a change. Let's dad's not going to burn out anymore. Let's go get a new job. So I leave the big four public accounting world and I take a job with a smaller firm up in Chattanooga. So we move up to Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, so we went from being very close to my parents to being very close to her parents and, you know, had an opportunity that I was very excited about. It was a little bit more um, performance based. So I felt like, you know, if I am going to work hard, I do, I would like to be rewarded for it. And I felt like I had that opportunity where I was going. And I did. That was turned out to be very true. I had the opportunity to increase my income and to create a little bit more of that financial stability that I had wanted back, you know, early on. So when we moved, my in-laws, thank God, I remember this as a, as a, as a fond memory, as a positive memory. They may tell you that uh, we absolutely drove them nuts, but they took us in for, for a while, for about six, I would say about six months or so. We lived with them when we moved. Uh, we couldn't find a house. Um, so they let us crash with them. So at this point, I kind of come out of depression. We make a move, new career, fresh start. All right, we're going to learn the lesson, right? Nope. Did not learn the lesson. In fact, it got way worse for me. Um, thinking back on it, again, it was just kind of like, I was like, all right, well, Leslie's at home with her parents. She's she's set. The boys are, they're getting to stay with their Gigi and their bop. Like, you know, what more could you ask for? Everybody's good at home. I'm running to work and I'm just going to crush it. And I'm going to go as, as hard as I can. And I'm going to do the best job that I can. And I'm going to earn what I can. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think what I did wrong was I went into it with, again, absolutely no bumpers on the sidelines to take care of myself. Like I just went 100 miles an hour. I would see, I would see, there were a lot of works where I would not see the kids during the week. Maybe I'd see them one night, but a lot of, a lot of weeks I didn't see them during the week. I was up early in the morning and I was out, um, you know, going to the office. Some mornings I'd go to the gym, but more often than not, it was to the office and then I'd be home after, you know, they went to sleep. You know, they're in bed at 6.37 and I was coming home a little, you know, right around there. I might see them for, you know, 20, 30 minutes, wind them up again right before bedtime so they'd have a meltdown. Um, but anyway, a lot of that, there were a lot of weeks like that. And what I realized was the worst part of all of it has nothing to do 
or I wouldn't, won't say it has nothing to do, but it has less to do with the quantity of time that I was getting. Because again, I, I believe in hard work and I understand that you have to do what you have to do. And it's important for our kids to see us work hard. But I think we fail to um, to, to fully weigh the equation. So the qu- the quantity of time was not great. But what was worse was the quality of the time that I did have with them. And looking back, I was always, I, I just have these memories of rushing through bedtime so that I could go, you know, respond to emails from clients or go call a client back. Or, you know, I'm sitting there doing bedtime for my son, who at the time is three, and he's asking me, Dad, can you please read me another book? And I'm saying, sorry, buddy, one book tonight, I got to go. And that, I mean, that haunts me to be in a position now to look back and say that that's the position that I was in. So I was distracted. I was overworked. I was tired. I was stressed. And again, it's not the worst thing in the world to be challenged and to work hard. But it was just, I had gotten myself in this position where work was the default, right? Work was the default. It was, oh, I have to do this for work. And I never asked myself, like, do I really have to do this? Like a lot of the times the answer should have been no, but I was just giving it the default and saying, yes, I have to do this now. And if you asked, you know, if you asked anybody outside, if you, outside of my family, if you asked anybody inside of my family, they'd probably, they, they might've thought they were, they probably would have said he's, he's a great husband and he's a great father. And my intentions were really good to be those things. But my, I realize now looking back that my good intentions were not nearly enough. Like it just, it just didn't match my actions. And then COVID happened and that rocked everybody's world, right? I mean, that, that changed life as we knew it. And, um, you know, I, I, I've jokingly said from time to time that COVID saved my life. I don't like to really say that though, but cause I don't want to take it lightly. Like I understand that we had loss of life. We had loss of wealth. We had loss of, you know, opportunity. We had loss of jobs. We had loss of freedoms. We had loss of this way of life that we were all accustomed to. And I think there's a mourning that is deserved in all of that. But I, I just refuse to not see the silver lining in what God did in my life during that time, which I say saved my life. In reflecting on that time, it was like God pinned me down, like literally pinned me down. I was so, you know, pedal to the metal, default work, go, 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 go. But God, it's like he pinned me down and he made me watch everything that I was missing. All the breakfasts that I missed, I was now seeing. All the times in the morning with, the, you know, getting the boys dressed and ready for school or dressed and ready for the day you know, doing the arts and crafts during the day, coloring in their coloring books, playing with their, you know, whatever the toy of, of the day was at that time. Now it's dinosaurs, but I, don't, I can't even remember what it was then. You know, my wife making them healthy lunches, you know, chopping up the, you know, fruit and doing the PB&Js, cutting the crust off and doing the whole thing and sitting down at the table doing the blessing and and then going and, and getting them ready for nap time and then getting them up in the afternoon and taking them out to play in the backyard and taking them on walks around the neighborhood and then getting them, you know, dinner cooked, a healthy dinner cooked, and then getting them into and out of the bathtub, which if you've ever had little kids, you know that that is a feat in itself. 
and getting them dressed and ready for bed and watching my wife do all of this and then, you know, reading them the bedtime stories, singing them songs, praying for them. And I got to see it all again firsthand, you know, all the things that I was missing, all the things that I was leaving my wife completely in the trenches with. And on top of that, you know, I mean, forget about date night, forget about really sitting down at the end of the night and looking my wife in the eye and say, how was your day? Like, tell me about your day. She may tell you that I did that. She may tell you that I was a good husband during that time, but I wasn't nearly the husband that I could have been. I'll just put it that way. And again, I never did anything egregiously wrong. I never had a bad intention to not be present, but there were just a lot of times where I really wasn't. And even if I was there, I wasn't mentally in the game because I was just distracted and stressed. And when God made me sit still and see it all happen in slow motion day after day after day after day after day, for the length of time that we were all locked down at home, I just had this revelation. Like I was like, it's like the lights came on. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to, if if I don't stop this, I'm going to look back. 10 years is going to go by in the blink of an eye and I'm going to look back and the kids aren't going to be two and four anymore. They're going to be 12 and 14 and they are going to be too damn cool to hang out with me anyway. And I'm going to say, look at me. I got to this point in my career. This is awesome. And I'm going to turn around and say, all right, kids, now we can go spend some time together. Now we can go jump on the trampoline. Now we can go kick the soccer ball in the backyard. Now we can go ride scooters in the the driveway. And they're going to say, sorry, dad, going to our friend's house. See ya. Like I had the revelation that that was going to happen if I didn't change the balance that I had in my life. If I wasn't able to stop take my foot off the gas just a bit so that I could take care of myself so that mentally I could be just present. I could be, I could care to, I could really care to be there and be invested in being there and not just, and not just be there and get by, but be proactive and really invest in the opportunity that I had to raise my kids, to be a good husband to Leslie. And I just, oh man, it was just the craziest sequence of events and it changed my life. So that's why, you know, I, I say that COVID saved my life. Again, I hope nobody is insulted by that because I, trust me, I understand it. I understand the weight of what has happened over the last, you know, 18 months. But for me, this is my silver lining and I refuse, <laughs> I refuse to let that go. So when thinking back on it, you know, God used COVID. He slapped me in the face. He woke me up. And it gave me this appreciation. Like I said, it gave me this appreciation for the finity and the, just the brevity of life. The old cliche, like, don't blink. They grow up so fast. Like, it's true. Like, I, like in that time where, where I was learned, like, before I learned this lesson, like, I blinked after we moved to Chattanooga and a year and a half went by, which is crazy to think that I missed, you know, just, I just wasn't fully mentally present for almost a year and a half of my kids' lives. That's crazy. I was there a lot as much as I could, but I just wasn't quite mentally all there. You know, this whole idea of I'll be home, I'll be more present at home when, when I get the next promotion, I get that bonus, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's a mirage, but you know, the reality is while you're doing that, while, while we're chasing these things, life doesn't wait, the kids grow up. And and I finally just reached the conclusion that that time with my kids is never going to come back. Other opportunities professionally will, there will be more of those.
there will be no more opportunities to spend time with my son, you know, when he's, when he's two, three, four, five years old. And again, I'm not here to curse hard work. Um, that's a lesson that I'm, I'm just, I'm adamant about teaching my own kids and I want them to see me work hard, but I also want them to see me live in a little bit more intentional way. That's very important to me because that's what I've learned. So COVID was the great reset for me, right? So it's this revelation that changed my life. There's no doubt in my mind that that is God's hand working in my life. No doubt in my mind. And I knew that I wanted to help other men feel like I had something in me that I had to express. Couldn't quite figure it out. It was like everything I tried was like square peg, round hole. was trying to start little businesses. I had little ideas and I just couldn't quite get excited about any of it enough to get it going. And one night, Leslie, I'm sure she was just getting tired of me trying to figure, figure this out. And she just said, why don't you just start a podcast? She was like, people listen to you when you speak. And all you ever talk about is podcasts. And I had that feeling again that I had similar to when I brought Mason home from the hospital and Brooks home from the hospital. It's a, it's the crossroads of being very excited and very scared. And we haven't looked back since that was the beginning of this year and everything that I've done this year leading up to this point has been getting this show to life. So COVID was this great reset for me, the revelation that changed my life and the mission of this show. My mission in doing this show is to be a vessel for God to work through other men in the same way that he worked in me. I want to replicate this, this revelation that I had in other people. So, you know, rather than live a life that they're going to look back on and regret in 5, 10, 15, 20 years, like I want to wake them up now. I don't want them to go chase this thing, this distraction, this, you know, maybe it's whatever outside of the home for the, for all this time neglecting what's at home. It's okay to chase things outside your home. And I think that's important that we do as men, but how we do it is important. If what you're, if what we're doing for a family comes completely at their expense, then that's not what we want to be doing. I want to wake these guys up right now so that they can live the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years in a way where they're going to look back and be just proud as hell and excited about the relationship that they have with their kids, excited about their marriage, excited about who they have grown into be personally. That's the mission of this show. And then on top of that, if you are a man who is married and has kids, you know that isolation is a problem. It's hard for guys in our in our circumstances to get out and make friends. It just is. We have a lot going on and with our circumstances capacity is shrunk. It's very minimal what we have to give and it doesn't all like what we do have to give more often than not is going to go to our families or to our jobs and to keeping, you know, our mental and, and physical health in check. We don't always give a whole lot of time into developing relationships with other men, guys that we can lean on, be, be brothers with. But we all have the same, like same big circumstances if we're married and have kids and we're, you know, we all worry about the same things. Like we all worry about money and paying for bills and paying for college and, you know, being competitive and dealing with our egos and keeping up in our careers and, you know, who's got the nicest car, like all that shit. We all deal with it. Like it, we all have similar circumstances. It's not crazy to think that we all also deal with the same problems. And isolation, I think, is the biggest one. 
So this show is also supposed to be a lifeline for guys who do feel like they're on an island by themselves. So the idea in having these conversations is to hear guys that we all know and love from television, from social media, from sports, from entertainment, whatever it is, and hear them speak on these things. The amount of pride that they take in being a great husband, the joy that they have in pouring into their kids, the things that they struggle with, like the things that, you know, keep them up at night, the thing like the things that they are dealing with that we don't always get to see. You know, guys that guys that we see on TV and social media, I mean, I I I definitely make this mistake, but it's like we look up to them, right? But really, when you boil it all down, we've all got the same circumstances. We're husbands, we're fathers. We deal with our own egos. We deal with the same worries and struggles about finances and our weight and how we look and the car we drive and it's all the same thing and we're all trying to figure out how the hell to balance it all so the idea is that we can hear these people that we that we do look up to these people that we you know we we put a lot of stock in what they have to say but hear them talk about these things and the whole idea is for us to realize that we're all in this together so that's the show that's how we got here And here, right now, uh, it's me sitting in the corner of my garage with a 2012 MacBook sitting on a $7 chair from Home Depot. I've got blankets and curtains nailed directly into my ceiling around the desk and around the computer, my quote-unquote studio, and that is my quote-unquote soundproofing and all that. And then I've just got this fire in my heart to be a vessel for God's vision in the lives of other men and my own life as well. So we got humble beginnings, but I have no doubt that the show is an expression of something that God put in me, and it's an honor for me to express it. And I'm extremely thankful for uh, to Leslie for challenging me to do this, to you know really pull this out of me and also support me in it. This takes a ton of time. It takes a ton more time than she or I ever thought that it would. So I cannot give her enough credit for supporting me and to you know make this happen. And even more so just for putting up with me in general. I mean, I've definitely learned a lot over the last year and a half, but uh, I'm, I'm a long way from having it all figured out. And I'm also so thankful to all of you who are still following the show, listening every week, you know, the likes on social media, the, the downloads, the follows, the whatever it is, it is, it's mission critical to bring in this vision to life. And it, it literally cannot happen without you. So I cannot thank you enough for your support. So thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks for listening to me ramble for the last half hour or so. I hope you feel like you got to know me a little bit better. And I hope you now have a better idea of what dad the man was really born out of and what our mission is here. Again, thank you so much for your support. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Next week, we will be back with uh, regularly scheduled programming. Another awesome interview will come next week. Uh, But until then, remember, love and lead from the front. See you.